may be seated. You, you may want to get your outline out. Uh, it's, it's quite extensive. We may not get through it all, but I, I thought since we're having graduation uh, week and uh, uh, honoring Jessica for her achievements, um, we might just turn our attention. It, it actually plays off of last week, Revelation chapter 4, God is Creator. And actually we're going to see that in the text. But I thought we would just take a week and, and look at a life of no regret. A life of no regret. How can we have a life with no regrets? No guilt, no remorse. No shame associated with the, the sins. And how, how can we live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, get to the end of life, and say this is what God had, had for us. And again, God's word is clear. We just read in Ecclesiastes. I mean, what's the conclusion of the whole matter? How should we live? Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Again, verses 13 and 14. Fear God. Fear God. By the way, uh, it's the beginning of a wisdom to fear the Lord, uh, Proverbs says. So fearing God means not only reverential awe, but also uh, a relationship with him. What's the beginning of wisdom? To fear the Lord. What does that mean as far as New Testament terms? terms, That means receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior and having a relationship with God through Him. So fear God and then keep His commandments. Walk in His paths. Walk in His ways. Um, For this is man's all. This is the whole duty of man as one translation says. And, and one of the men that we see in church history that I believe did this very well was Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards. As a young man, he penned what we now know as his 70 resolutions. He was only 19 years old. It was back in 1722. And as a young guy, he looked at his life as a saved believer and said, you know what? I want to live my life for God. I want to live my life for Christ. And these resolutions are going to keep me down the path by God's grace to that end. Now again, it's important to recognize that many believe that Jonathan Edwards was the, one of the greatest, if not the greatest mind that, America, that ever lived on America's soil. That he was the greatest American thinker of all time. He was certainly one of the greatest theologians, if not the greatest theologian. I mean, his, his accolades are wide. Again, widely known to be, again, America's most important and original, as one man said, philosophical theologian. I mean, he was just a great thinker. And yet, at the very beginning of his life, he made resolutions and basically said, you know what? God gave me breath, God gave me salvation, and I want to walk with God. And I'm going to walk according to these resolutions. By God's grace, I'm going to, and he kept going back to them. He wrote them out, he didn't put them in the drawer like we so often do with budgets. <laughs> but he, he walked in the path that these resolutions uh, worked towards, and that was honoring God, glorifying God, walking in a way that was pleasing to him, and really for his own benefit. In fact, the first of the resolutions, this was resolution number one, this is what it said, resolved that I will do whatever I think to be most to the glory of God and my own good, profit, and pleasure, 
and the whole of the duration of my life without any consideration of the time, whether now or never so, myriads of ages hence, resolve to do whatever I think to, do, to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolve to do this whatever difficulties I meet with, however many, however great soever they might be. Me. He, but I like that first part. Resolve to do whatever I think, what? Most for the glory of God and, and my own good profit and pleasure. And you think, are those, aren't those opposite? Glory of God, my own good profit and pleasure? Actually, the first principle that, that really should become the compass of our life. And again, I wrote down a lot of principles because I know this is going to be extensive, but I just want you to kind of think through some of this. I want to challenge some of our thinking. The first principle is this, living for God and doing what is best for yourself is not in contradiction. The world tries to get us to think this, that if you live for God, it's in contradiction to really what is best for you. Oh no, I need to have this pleasure, I need to have this sin, I need to have this whatever. No, no, living for God and doing what is best for yourself is not in contradiction. That's what he was saying in that first resolution, that very first one. I want to live for God, but I know that living for God is in my best interest as well. Sure, it's for God's glory. That's number one priority. But the byproduct, it's also best for me. Wouldn't we, wouldn't we negate out of our life so many hurts if we just believe that? That what God has told us in his word is really best for us? But again, we easily forget our convictions and our commitments. Actually forget that God is the creator over us, that God is love, that God loves us, that he is our father. We forget the fact that his way is best. I would say this to Jessica. I would say this to all of us. God's way is best. God's way is best for us. Actually, because he knew that he would often forget, this was his second resolution. And before you think, oh, you're just going to go through resolution. No, we're going we're to leave Edwards here in a minute, okay? But I find him so fascinating because of how great a man he was and how he started his Christian life early. He didn't go through sowing his wild oats, as it were, and falling here and falling there and getting all messed up and then coming to God somewhere in the 30s or 40s. He said, this God is God and I want to follow him. And resolution number two was this. Resolve to be continually endeavoring to find out some new invention. And what he meant by that was some new discovery and contrivance or gadget. Now, I've got to define what he's talking about. To promote the aforementioned things. Oh, what is he talking about? He's saying, you know what? In this race, this Christian race of pursuit of God, I've got to keep my mind open to the ways that God works in my life in new ways. That's what he meant by new contrivances. New, in other words, Lord, show me how to live for you in a more contrite way. Lord, if I need to journal, I'll do it. Lord, I need, if I need to get up earlier, in other words, Lord, show me how I can walk with you in a more consistent and more God-honoring way. He knew that he would often forget. That's why he went back to these resolutions. I think it was weekly. He would read through them. We often forget. You hear a truth. You hear a message. You know, you hear a concept, yeah, that's going to change my life. Three weeks later, you couldn't even explain it. You forgot it. He kept going back. He kept going back. See, we need to be reminded 
It's interesting. They say of Edwards that he was a funny guy. He would go out on a horseback, you know, again, this was before cars and all that, and, and he would go out with pieces of paper and pens, and, and as he was riding through the woods or wherever he was riding, he'd be, you know, coming up with thoughts, and he would write the thoughts down as he's riding on his horse, and then he would pin them on his coat, and, and, and when he came back, this long, lengthy guy, lanky guy would just have all these, you know, like stickums all over his, you know, and... And he was like one of these guys who was thinking, and I'm sure things were falling apart around him at times, but he would just, you know, and he, then he'd take up pieces, oh, that's right, that was, you know, because you, know, you easily forget. That's why actually, you know, if it's really important, write it down, because you'll probably forget if you don't. So he just said, listen, Lord, I need to keep focused. Now, all that was an uninspired voice, right? Jonathan Edwards was not inspired. I believe in Christianity, he was a great man. Now we want to turn to an inspired voice. So that I think is saying the same thing, actually. In other words, what Jonathan Edwards' uh, focus was, was pleasing God, his life, so he would end well. Now look, let's look at another man, but this man is found in Scripture. This man is an inspired voice, and that's Solomon. So if you want to turn with, with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. By the way, with this message, I was tremendously blessed by a man uh, that actually taught on this. Obviously, I've added a lot and stuff like that, but his name was uh, Rick Holland. Uh, he was a guy from uh, Master Seminary, and uh, a lot of the footwork for this message, I want to give credit to him because he really got my mind thinking in a lot of areas. I actually walked away from this study, my study, is saying, I have got to study Ecclesiastes. We're going to get to Ecclesiastes in a moment. I have got to teach this book. This is an unbelievable book. Um, it just like really changed just some things. And You know, ah, I, I, don't you love going to the Word of God where it like hits you? Like that's truth, you know, and this is what you have to go in this direction. So someday, either in Sunday morning or ABF, we're going to study the book of Ecclesiastes. What we're studying today, though, will be just one message, very quick, just kind of hit it and go type of thing. But we just got to kind of get, first of all, in 1 Kings 3, we're going to see Solomon, and then we're going to see what he wrote at the end of his life, which is the book of Ecclesiastes. So this is an inspired book. Again, um, here, it's just, I'm just showing you Solomon's beginning, okay? And it, and it says in uh, chapter 3, verse 5, God asking him, at the end of verse 5, what shall I give you? This is God of the universe asking Solomon, the king, what shall I give you? And, and the reason he's doing this is, look at verse 3, and Solomon loved the Lord, walking in his statutes of his father David. Now, unfortunately, we have this word except, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high place. It, what, he, what he's referring to there, the author referring to there, is not that he uh, 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 sacrificed at the high places to foreign gods, he sacrificed at the high places to the true God, but in the wrong place. What you realize is this, Solomon is not perfect. And yet, because he loved the Lord, I like that, I love the Lord, God says, what shall I give you? Well, isn't that a question? What if God came to you and said, what shall I give you? What do you want? Well, look at... Um, Let's look at verse 6. And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father. It's amazing how many times David is referenced. Because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne. Again, that's him 
as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I'm a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, a great people. So then he says, this is what I want. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding how to judge your people. In other words, give, a, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Give me discernment between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Look at verse 10. And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for life for yourself nor riches for yourself or life of, the, of your enemies, in other words, so that you could kill them, or, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern, I'm going to give you that and everything else. Therefore, Solomon had a very unique life. <laughs> he, had, he was very rich, very powerful, very prestigious, many relationships, many wives, we'll see that in a moment, very unique. He had an un, in other words, he had unhindered opportunity. That's the point. You know, we're wealthy, really, Americans are wealthy. This guy was filthy rich with all kinds of power, all kinds of prestige, right? Unhindered opportunity. Power to do anything he wanted. Unlimited resources to do anything he wanted. I mean, just, like, what's going to happen to this guy? Well, go over to chapter 11. We won't get into his life at all, other than to say he basically crashed and burned. Verse 1, but King Solomon loved many foreign women. Well, that's a, that's a way to start up chapter 11. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughters of, uh, daughter of Pharaoh, Women of Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, wow. But look at what happened. Even though God said in the end of chapter, verse 2, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with, they with you. Surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. That's why you don't want to interconnect. You know, don't be unequally yoked. By the way, if you're dating someone who is an unbeliever, just understand that it's both against God's will and it will turn your heart from God, right? So again, very, very serious stuff. But Solomon clung to these in love. That's the last part of verse 2. He clung to these in love. And I, who are these? The gods and the women, I believe. I don't think it's just one or the other. I think both. But look at this. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. I mean, a thousand women. We don't even want to... I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna say anything about that. Thousand. That's shy of three years. Okay, but only. Gonna... For it was so, verse four, when Solomon was old, that that his wives turned his heart after these gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. The wives, the women, the concubines turned his heart. You know, he actually sacrifices to the uh, other gods. I'll give you another principle. Who, or you could even say what, because sometimes it's a what. Who, but let's say for who in the sense of people. 
Who you choose to love will have the greatest influence on your life. Who you choose to love will have the greatest influence on your life. You've got to be very careful. And again, I'm speaking to you know, the younger generation. By the way, the Ecclesiastes, which will be in a moment, was spoken to the younger primarily. But who you choose to love will have a great influence, the greatest influence on your life. And, and yet people just, you know, kids, and they're just dating around and unsaved and thinking about marriage and not really thinking about their eternity. Your marriage is going to have a great impact on your eternity, right? Not whether you're saved or not, but whether or not you run well and finish well. Because your spouse should be an encouragement to you spiritually. Now again, you're immediately, well, what if I blew it? Well, again, grace, mercy, but let's just take how should you live, okay? Look at verse 9. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. See, he didn't listen. And, and the consequences you find in verses 11 through 13, the kingdom will be divided, but it won't be divided in your time. Again, he was offering to foreign gods. I mean, we saw that and, and you see that throughout. Um, but it's going to be divided after you die and your son Rehoboam is not going to... The kingdom will be divided in two, and Jeroboam will have ten of the tribes, Rehoboam two, and it's all because your heart was not holy for me. Severe consequences. And in, in verse 40, Solomon rested with his fathers. So again, that was very quick, but, but let me, let's, let's think of one more, or one more principle here. The consequences for your sins often will not be seen immediately. I mean, it takes a while to marry 700 women. You know, okay, okay, we got to go to another ceremony, you know. <laughs> another seven days of feasting, you know. And then, you know, then, you know, slowly from sacrificing to the true living God on the high place, which was not the place that you're supposed to be. It's supposed to be the tabernacle because the temple had not yet been built. Um, well, no, excuse me, the temple had been. See, it should have been transferred over. At the beginning, it wasn't. By this point, it was. But now, but he's still sacrificing to the false gods on the, on the high places. Takes time, takes time. And then, oh, you know, it's going to be divided, but not in your lifetime. So he continues his life as a united kingdom. Then he dies. That's when it happens. Consequences for your sins often will not be seen immediately. Sometimes even the consequences for your sin will be seen not in you, but in your children. The consequences. Why? Ooh, that's, that's a hard one. And your grandchildren, right? Especially if you're unrepentant. Now again, if you, you know, fall down in, in a sackcloth and ashes, Lord, forgive me, I repent and I move in a different direction. You know, it's amazing how God can create good out of ashes. You know what I mean? But with Solomon, he continued down his path, uh, but you didn't see the actual final consequence until after his death, it really affected his son. Now, Ecclesiastes is written at the end of Solomon's life, just before he's going to die, okay? He's looking back over his whole life, and now he's, and, and he's, he's called the preacher. In fact, go over to Ecclesiastes, if you will. Uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon. Is it Song of Solomon? No, Ecclesiastes. Excuse me, got those two mixed up. Um, 
And you find that it's, that's him speaking. We just make sure, let's make sure that. Chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Okay, so what do you mean? Uh, chapter 1. Again, Proverbs, find Proverbs, and it's the next couple pages. Uh, the preacher, this is a sermon. This is a sermon to the young, primarily to the young. It's looking at his whole life and saying, okay, let me tell you what I've preached. It's like me, you know, I know I'm going to die in, in, uh, you know, within the year, and I'm going to give you my last sermon before I leave this pulpit, and it's just over my whole life. This is what I've learned, and let me, let me share the wisdom with you type of thing. Not because I'm perfect. Not because Solomon was perfect. But what he says is inspired, okay? And it's, so it's a preacher, it's a sermon, but we know it's Solomon, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. Again, Ecclesiastes records the end of his life, the thoughts when he came as a word to his senses, okay? I do believe as he's saying this, he is in a repentant form, okay? See, this is where, because some people look at Ecclesiastes, boy, that was just total secular, just total world point of view. No, no. It's a man who has lived for himself from worldly wisdom, though he had God's wisdom, now coming to the end of his life and saying, wait a second, that was wrong. I need to go, and let me tell you how to live a right life, because right now I am. And though he, he is repentant, there's still consequences for his sin. The kingdom is still going to be divided. See, sometimes we think, you know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. You know, we say it that way, just like nonchalant, you know, I can sin and then I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to confess and he will forgive and he will cleanse. Yeah, but there's a lot of consequences. Let me give you a, a fourth principle. No matter what sin you have committed, harbored or hid, God is a God of grace. You've got to get that out of Ecclesiastes because this man is speaking correctly for God and for life. You've got to believe that. It, I, I have got to understand, and we've got to understand, at this point he has recognized not only this is what life is not about, but this is what life is about, and this is how I'm living life. So this is him after he has, as it were, come to his senses, after he has repented. And even in the midst of this, you see God's grace, the fact that he's able to, to speak it, say it. I like how, actually, Rick said this, Rick Holland. He said, you cannot out the grace of God. Boy, that's hope. And I don't know where you find yourself, but you can't out the grace of God. Forgiveness is always available. Restoration is always possible. I'm not saying that you don't have some consequences. But isn't it great to know no matter where you find yourself, whether you're in your 20s, 40s, 60s, maybe later, and you see yourself and maybe even patterns of life, that God's grace is still there? You can always, always go in a different direction by God's grace. And that's, I think, what you see with uh, Solomon. Now, if you go to chapter 12, we're just going to go to the end of the book. Chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. Now, I'm emphasizing this because I want to point to the fact that primarily his audience is youth. And when you say youth, what are you talking like, you know, 5 years old to 11? No, actually 12 to 30. Hebrew, that's youth. 12 years old to 30. Okay? 12 because that's when they considered... Uh, you're coming into young adulthood, but again, making decisions on your own, you know, that type of... 12 to 30. That's his, as we would say, target audience. But that's also the prime of life. 
This is when you need to focus on God and His plan for your life. You need to do it younger, not older. You know, you don't want to sow the wild oats and then have to deal with all the harvest. <laughs> you, you want to go for it at the beginning. So, here's Solomon, the preacher, after a life lived with no parameters, saying, okay, as a young person, I want you to think about this. And primarily the, the, uh, the message is this. Think about your dying. Think about your end. Think about when you're going to meet God. And you're going to see that over and over again. Think about that because that will give you perspective. Go back here to when I exit this earth and then come back to when you're young and say, okay, let me arrange my priorities so that I will not be ashamed, that I will be glad that I have lived this way when I finally exit this earth. In other words, we need to think about death and getting older and the judgment to follow. follow. See, this is the true beginning of understanding. You've got to think this in these terms. And I know it sounds, you know, in our society, that sounds so morbid. We actually do everything we can to get away from death, don't we? I mean, you know, even, sad to say, but even when a person grows older, even if the per, you know, let's just get them out of, it's best for them to be by themselves in the nursing home, really. I'm not saying nursing home cannot, I mean, sometimes it's necessary. I understand that. My grandfather's in the nursing home right now, okay? But what I'm saying is it's amazing how then, and you don't see the person, and they just kind of, because it's hard for us to see the aging process. Isn't that true? It's hard for us to see what the body, the decay of the body. And sometimes I think some, some of it is just, you know, just I don't want to be reminded. Well, Solomon's saying this. You need to remind yourself that you're not going to be here. I was looking up yesterday, Paul Anderson. You know who Paul Anderson is? Strongest man. Came from somewhere around your place, right? Anyways, the guy, I mean, just like shattered world records. But you know what happened to Paul Anderson? He died. <laughs> right? Right? 50s, he died. I mean, everybody dies. I mean, I, I just, and there's this other weight, you know, white uh, that was uh, talking about Paul Anderson. And, I mean, he looked like chiseled, you know. But then they were talking to him in the 90s and chiseled back in the 40s about, and I'm like, boy, he looks old. <laughs> well, yeah, the aging process, right? I, I did that because I knew I was talking about Solomon. It was like, wow, you know, we all grow older. We need to think about the final time when we exit this earth. It brings wisdom to us. So, fast forward the tape to the end of your life, then come back to the present, and you'll have perspective on how to really live. That's kind of a summation of how Jonathan, or, uh, Solomon is talking, so you have no regrets, or as Jonathan Edwards said in his 17th resolution, this was one of his resolutions, resolve that I will live so as I, I shall wish I had done when I come to die. That's why, that's a wise guy. At age 19, he wrote that. So how do you live with life with no regret? Well, first of all, let me give you two resolutions. We're just going to cover two that I think are found in this text. <coughs> the first one is this. Be resolved to redeem the prime of your life. Now again, I know some of you are past the prime. Actually, I'm past the prime. Sorry to hit me. I'm 50. 50? Hmm, okay. <laughs> Get a little older here. But for you young people and for you grandparents who are teaching the young and for you parents who are teaching the young and for whoever you are who wants to have impact on the young, be resolved to redeem the prime of your life. 
In other words, live your life to the fullest today. Now, that's going to sound odd. This, some of this stuff is going to sound odd to you. When I say redeemed, I also, what I'm referring to is, in other words, take advantage of it. Cash it in. Spend it now. And he says that in verse 7. We're in Ecclesiastes 11, verse 7. He says this. And this is all in reference to enjoy your youth. Enjoy your youth. I am not saying enjoy it by just sinning. Again, we already know, fear God and keep His commandments. But enjoy your youth. Truly the light is sweet. And it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness. Let him remember the days of darkness. Now, he's contrasting light and darkness, not just the visual. He's talking about light being life and the days of darkness being death. In other words, the days of darkness are coming. Death is coming. But, But he says, truly the light, life, life is sweet. Life is pleasant. They go on, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. Now, we keep, we're going to see this word vanity, not today, but when I teach this someday in ABF, you're going to see vanity 37 times in this. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Vanity, vanity. Keep saying vanity. Vanity, vanity. Emptiness. The word literally means breath. Go out on a cold day and you go, breath. You know, life is, James says what? A vapor. What he's saying is, if you take everything in this world, let, just understand it's like vapor, it's like breath. It's a, it's a futile attempt, it's a futile attempt to try to be satisfied with the things of this world if you're just looking at this world. That's a futile attempt to just try to get whatever this world has and just somehow say this, and that will satisfy, it will not. And that's why he keeps going back to vanity, because he's saying, you know what, the world's going to try to get you to believe that by enjoying life means getting all the stuff of this world and just understand that that's vanity. That's, that's vapor. That's, as it were, steam off coffee. Just there for a second. The pleasures of this world, the satisfaction, the contentment of this world is going to be that quick. So he says, listen, but that doesn't mean that you don't, you know, that light is not sweet, that life is not sweet, that life is not pleasant. But just know that the days of darkness are coming. So you put it all together... First of all, enjoy your youth. But I would also say this to you as young, for this days of darkness, they will be many. What is he saying? (laughs) Saying this, you're going to be dead longer than you are alive. That's what he's saying. Now again, at the end he says that your spirit goes back to God, and I'm not saying that you die as far as, you know, uh, yeah, you know, um, what is that called? Uh, uh, annihilation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Donna. <laughs> but what he is saying is you look at this world. See, by the way, this book is written from a world, you know, this is a, a godly man saying, listen, if you're going to try to get your, if you're going to try to get your everything from this world, just know that you're going to be dead longer than you are alive. That puts total perspective. That, that is a life changer right there. If you start thinking through what he's saying, that is a life changer, a life director. I mean, it directs your life. Because as a young person, you say, okay, enjoy, but don't get your stakes too deep because we're out of here someday. So again, 
Death lasts longer than life. And then he says this in verse 9. Rejoice. That's an imperative, O young man. Again, young. In your youth. And the New American says it this way. And let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. Let it, let it be pleasant. And then he says this, which is, and follow the impulses of your heart. In other words, really live it up. <laughs> and the desires of your eyes. Now, for most young people, I would not normally say that. Right? Follow the impulses of your heart. Or walk in the ways of your heart, like the New King James. And, and, and in the sight of your eyes, or the desires of your eyes. What he's saying is, enjoy your life. Don't be Eeyore'd. Remember Eeyore? Poo, donkey, no tail, depressed, negative, yeah, poo, it's really great out here. No, no, enjoy. I mean, God created, in fact, he says it in the imperative and the urgency. Take advantage of it. The reason is this, you don't know if you're going to have tomorrow. Now, he's not saying cash in and just live a, an extravagant, sinful, ungodly life. In fact, look at the second part of verse 9. But know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Live life to the fullest. The desires of your heart get the most out of what God has given to you, knowing that it's God that gave it, but just know that in the end you will be judged. Now, some would say that's a bait and switch. That's not a bait and switch. Because again, remember we established that God's will and your best are together. But again, live it for him, not for yourself. Live life in light of eternity, but live life to the fullest. Like as I watch Jessica, I mean, if she goes after a, um, what is it, karate? It's going to be not yellow belt or green belt, but right to the fullest. Although, you know, he ends with uh, talking about how our bodies break down. I think the fullest there is way beyond that. I think he's just even referring to, you know, when you get up in the morning, look at the sky and how beautiful and have a cup of coffee and look and say, God, thank you for giving me eyes and thank you for the beauty. I mean, how many times do you drive to work and you don't even think, look at the mountains? But do you realize that people come from around the world to see our, our mountains, our, you know, whatever else we have out here? <laughs> I was going to try to say, like, the finger legs. Help me out here, you know. Yeah, you guys are just like, oh, let him bury himself. I was talking, well, Joe, Joe was telling me, yeah, there's a guy down, you know, people from other places that he works with say, you know, when I retire, I'm going to go to New York. I mean, that's where it's beautiful. We don't even realize it. You know, cataracts on the spiritual eyes. So enjoy life. Enjoy life. But again, know that, that the day of judgment is coming, but that's not a fearful thing. That's actually a, a, a perspective thing. Yeah, yeah, because God's will and my good are together. I'm one of his children. If you're one of his children, if you received his son, if you're forgiven part of his family, God's will, your good is together. We have to believe that. See, we think, you know, I've got to do my own thing to really be happy. No, no. So, principle number five is this. Enjoy life, again, within the parameters of biblical instruction within the parameters. Then you can really enjoy life to the maximum, to the fullest. Who's the saddest person on this earth? 
I would believe, I, I would say this, the saddest person on this earth is a child of God not walking with his father. Because a man who's walking in darkness doesn't even understand what he's lost, right? He doesn't know he's lost, he doesn't know the, the good. But those who are Christians have tasted of God and now they're walking and they have the conviction and the burden of guilt and all that comes along with it. Now the saddest person is a believer not walking with his Lord. The happiest person is the one that's walking with his Lord. Why? No weight of guilt, no conscience to deal with, no sin to confess, no consequences to endure, no conviction needing to be reproved and then, you know, forsaken. Right? Isn't that true? The happiest person on this earth is a Christian walking with Jesus. A Christian walking with his Lord. So again, enjoy life within the parameters of biblical instruction. So... Live life to the fullest. Don't be like that one type of gum. You ever have juicy fruit gum? Like you put it in your mouth and it's like this, wow, explosion of taste for about 30 seconds. And then it's like you have this decision, do I put another piece in or spit this out because it's really bad. See, when he says vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And then he says, life is like grasping at the wind. I want you to put your hand up. And I want you to get a whole handful of wind right now. Go. Did you get it? Over and over again, he says in there, vanity and life is like grasping at the wind. And people are doing it all the time. Christians are doing it. And it, you can't grab it. It's here. It's here to be enjoyed. It's from God. God wants to be glorified through you enjoying what God has given you. But just understand, you're walking through this life. You're going to have to leave it. And just thank God for what you have right now. But don't try to hold on to it. Do not. All right, so you might say, well, where is that? Just let me give you one verse. Uh, actually, two different passages. Chapter, 13, or chapter 3, verse 13. This is how we should live. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is a gift of God. Just enjoy what you have. Don't try holding on to it. But go over to chapter 4, verse 4. Again, if you toil and you work. But look at this. This also is vanity and the grasping for wind. Now some of the other versions say different ways. But the idea is you're grasping at something you cannot hold. Okay, I just wanted to kind of show you those. Because the vanity, when you see the word vanity, those 37 times, this is vanity. That all earthly goals and ambitions, when pursued as ends, as an end to themselves, produce only emptiness. That's what he's getting at. If you pursue these things as an end to themselves, if you just don't say, Lord, thank you for what you've given me, thank you for being my creator, my redeemer, my supplier, my sustainer, but if you try to make these, the things you see on this earth, as an end to themselves, they will be emptiness. I, th I get very convicted as I'm reading this, you know, studying this. So don't make your life like juicy fruit. Oh, it's explosion for a moment and then it's... <laughs> you can do that with relationships, you can do that with sex, you can do that with money, you can do that with uh, uh, accumulation of things. All fleeting. No lasting satisfaction on this earth. Only God. 
Principle number six, enjoy the things of this life, but know that lasting satisfaction can only come from God. Again, an interesting study is to look up the seven times where it says vanity and a grasping after wind. Look at verse 10. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart. How do you do that? Walk in God's ways. And put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Very quick, breath, vapor. You're going to get old. Your body's going to decay. There's going to come a day for you young kids that you're going to have to have glasses, maybe a hearing aid. I'm noticing my reading is now out to here. It really is. It's like, wow. And in the morning, I'm like, I've got to go get glasses. I have glasses that now help me see, you know, the deer that's up there when I'm driving, but I've got to get something to... Right? Yeah, you laugh. These deer are, you know, where I live. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for the deer. <laughs> Thank you that I'm insured, by the way, at Ryan Agency. That. <laughs> it was that an advertisement? I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> now, what does he say in verse 10? Put away the, the things that cause pain in your present that will bring disfavor in the final judgment. Put them away and do it in the young, when you're young. Principle number, number seven. Many of the choices you make in your youth will be irreversible. Many of the choices will be irreversible. Once you make them, there's no delete button on that one. There's no rewind. There's no turning back. That's why he's saying in verse 10, remove sorrow from your heart. Put away evil from your flesh. So you got your heart, your flesh. I mean, you got your internal, your external. Why? Well, because, just think about it. I mean, what does that do? It creates all kinds of problems. So, no matter your age, really, no matter your age, live your life carefully. He's telling the youth, but I would tell all of us, live your life carefully, because you can make decisions that you can't hit the delete button like you can on the computer. And many of you have made that. Thankfully, grace upon grace, God is gracious. You can't out-sin uh, God's grace, but again, we have to live with consequences. You may be right now thinking, I'm gonna, I'd like to make this particular sin choice. Just know there's consequences. Even if you say, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Right? He will cleanse. He will cleanse and forgive, but you still got to live with the consequences. So, be resolved to redeem the prime of your life. Now, last one, we'll just have to go quickly. Number two, be resolved to recognize the giver of your, of your life. So you're not only youth of your life, but the giver. And that's found in chapter 12, verse 1. Remember now, now, right now, the Creator in the days of your youth. Do it now. It's easy to forget God. It's easy to think that you're invincible, especially when you're young. This is not to dampen life. He just told us, enjoy it. But he is saying, listen, live in light of eternity. Live in light of judgment. That's all he's saying. Because, remember, God's will and your good are together. So, recognize your Creator, and we could spend a whole message just on the fact that God is the Creator. Six literal days it took Him, 24-hour days, to create everything that you see, right? Although I like, John MacArthur tells this story, you know, talking about Creator and stuff like that, and he said, except for my one granddaughter, he, she didn't agree with it. Because when the teacher told the class that God created everything, she said, no, he didn't. There's a whole lot made in China. <laughs> I 
Well, yeah, they made, they took what God created and made their own little toys, right? But hey, evolution says this: nobody plus nothing equals everything. Only a fool would believe that. And if you believe that, I don't like calling you a fool, but that is foolish, isn't it? No, God. So recognize your Creator, because, and He could have used a lot of different words: Elohim, Adonai. Jehovah. He said creator because if he made you, then you're responsible for him. There's a reason why Solomon used the word creator. So recognize your creator. Not only that, recognize your own brevity in the days of your youth. And don't think somehow well, I can live now and God will understand and I can then forgive. Sometimes he doesn't give the gift of repentance. Sometimes that itself, in other words, a person goes down the path 20s, now 30s, and he still has not repented. He hasn't turned. God's been working on his heart, but he doesn't want to turn. God then allows him just to keep allowing that sin to harden his heart. Then he gets 40s, 50s. And, and unless God supernaturally, which he does anyway, I mean, intervenes, the heart is hardened. He doesn't want truth. No, do it while you're young. Make decisions while you're young to walk with him. Let me give you another principle. As you hear God's truth, you must obey it or that same truth will harden you. Some of you hear truth and it's like it doesn't excite you anymore. Maybe it's because you haven't applied that truth to your life. Or like if it's the greatness of God that you really, as it were, taken it like hard candy and, and just savored it. Oh yeah, I know, Jesus is the you know, Savior. Yeah, he's the Redeemer and God is the Creator. Yeah, yeah you know, his Father. No, those are unbelievable truths. <laughs> the world in darkness does not understand those truths. When you hear truth, obey it. When you hear truth, savor it. When you hear truth, you know, uh, make it special. Treasure it, Psalm says. Treasure it. As I've said many times, the same sun that softens the wax hardens the clay. If you hear a truth and you, and you don't allow it to change you, it actually will harden you. You become hardened to it. And then you start rationalizing. And that's why in Romans 1 it says God gave them over. They knew truth. They heard truth. They had truth. They rejected truth. That truth hardened them. He gave them over to their lusts. It can happen to us. Not to that degree. Still saved. Be sensitive to truth. Young person, be sensitive. Older person, be sensitive. Seek God today. Not only seek Him, be sensitive to what He's speaking to you on through His Spirit. Because again, life slips away. If you're, if you're in the 60s, you, let's say you're in the 60s, 70s, even 50s. You remember when you were in high school? Then all of a sudden, college. Then all of a sudden, married. Then all of a sudden, first kid, second kid, third kid, well, seventh kid. Wow, where did time go? Now they're getting married. Now they're having grandkids. Life slips away very quickly. Jonathan Edwards, let's go back to him. I frequently hear, this is what he said, Resolution 52, I frequently hear persons in old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives over again. Resolved that I will live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done supposing I live to old age. Fast forward to the end. When you exit, come back and say, okay, I am resolved to live this way because I do not want to be ashamed at the end. 
Number three and final one, final sub-point. Take a moment here, but recognize the realities of getting old. Recognize the realities of getting old. Look at chapter one, verse, second part of verse one. Chapter 12, second verse, verse one. Before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. There's a coming a day, if you live long enough, you start saying, I have no pleasure in the days. The vigor is gone. While the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are, are, are not darkened and the clouds do not return after the rain. Now, and then he starts to break down our bodies right here. I mean, break it down as far as exegetically. First of all, you have the shaking of the hands. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble. Keepers of the house, the hands and the arms that protect the occupants. And they start to tremble. And you start seeing trembling in your members. And the strong men bow down. That's the weakening of the legs. New American says this, the mighty men stoop. Oh, oh my knees. Oh. You know, and just to get out of bed, you have to like, you know, go through exercises to get out of the bed. And when you have to go to the bathroom three times in one night, that takes a good part of your life is gone. <laughs> Third part. And the grinding one shall idle, uh, stand idle be, uh, because they are few. Your eyesight fails. Oh, excuse me, your tea, your tea. The next one's the eyesight. I'm like, that doesn't sound right. No, it's like, I, miss, I can't see. Give me a pair of glasses. Isn't it interesting? You start on baby food and you end with baby food. Yeah, the grinders stop. Last part of three. And those who look through windows grow dim. Yes, your eyesight fails. Now your hearing goes when the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low. There it's not talking about the teeth. The grinding is, in every village there would be a grinding mill, which is low. I can't hear it. Although it's interesting how some sounds are very clear. You know, like if you're a type A personality, you might hear the dripping of the faucet, but you can't hear the truck that goes by. You know, it's just selective hearing. Although I find that I was like that when I was 30. So. Um, Heightened sense of danger, verse 5, also they are afraid of height and of the terrors in the way. A lot of times people don't even want to travel anymore. I don't like to travel. I want to, you know, I might fall, I might get broke down. What do I do? And when the uh, almond tree blossoms, uh, blossoms is white. They were brilliant white. What is he talking about? Gray hair. And the grasshopper is a burden. New American says he drags himself along. That's a slower, less agile movement. The grasshopper. What is the grasshopper known for? Ding! Can't do that when you're older. I'm not older yet. My, my great-grandmother lived to be 100. And she was in the prime right there. We're going to go out. And the caperberry is ineffective. There was a, a, a taste. The taste buds go. And the desire fails. Vision and plans sometimes start to... You don't get any more vision. No more plans. Look at the last part of verse 5. For man goes to his eternal home, life after death. See, he recognized. And the mourners go about the streets. Now, the mourners were professional mourners. They would have actual professional mourners. When you died, you would hire people to mourn for you. What he's saying is these people are like watching through the window. Hey, this guy's about ready to die. We've got to get ready. <laughs> you know, a bunch of vultures. Look at, let, me, let me give you another principle. And again, we've been saying this. You must think of death 
put your life to put your life in proper perspective. If you want to have priorities, if you want a proper perspective, look at death and work your way back. That's why Solomon he says, "Listen, you're gonna you're gonna go through this." See, we in America think, "No, we're not." No, no, I got a, I got the health club. No, God has numbered your days. So again, you only have one life. Don't wait till verse 6. Remember God before the silver cord is broken. The golden bowl is crushed. They didn't have glue back then. If a bowl was crushed, it was gone. Throw away. This is the end of the person's life. Or the pitcher by the well is shattered. Or the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Don't wait till the very end. Oh Lord, I just want to live for you. I, only, I know I only have one month to go, but I want to live for you. Again, I'm not making light. Some lady, the lady who was 50-some years old died just recently, right, Ornell? We don't know the time. I might be not here next. Live for God right now. Verse 7, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. There's life after death. And then he ends by saying this, Vanity, vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Life is short, it's temporary. It's like steam off of coffee, it's like juicy fruit, you're here a moment, then gone. But live for him right now. Start right now. Again, the older you, the older you get, I think you start seeing this. Again, sometimes we forget. We try to put it off. I like what Edward says, and we'll close with this. He says, make religion. Now, he's referring to Christianity. Make Christianity the business of your youth. I would say it this way, though. Make Christianity... Jesus Christ, the business of your life. Let's stand as we worship him.